Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Hello, how are we today? Good. Is anyone else scared of rock climbing? I'm terrified. Well, actually, when I was a kid, I used to love climbing trees. I want to be a pilot, all sorts of stuff. And then I got stuck up a tree. And then, I don't know, nerves, anxiety. Actually, when I go rock climbing, I don't know why, but I have some kind of vertigo thing where I can't tell where down is. Does anyone else get that? I'm a nightmare to go rock climbing with. Anyway, so, hey, um, the kids are out, or most of the kids are out. If you're, if you're a kid who stayed in, you're, this is your lucky day because the kids are out and the adults are about to play. We're going to play a game and I have chocolate. Are you excited? You need to be super excited. What's your name? Caitlin. Caitlin's very excited because she stayed in today. It is better outside for kids, but the one day you might want to stay in could be today. So we're going to play a game. What do these things have in common? Are you ready? Now, here's the thing. You're going to yell out the answer. If it's not the answer I'm thinking of, you don't win. It's a suckful game if you think something, you know, you can't argue with the referee. Are you okay with that? Right? So here's the first thing. What do these all have in common? Let's have a look. Yell out the answer if you think you've got it. Oh, hang on. We might, we might go hands because I'm a teacher and I can't see. Yes. They're all Australian. That is correct, but it's not the answer I'm thinking of. Yes. Sorry? They've got eyes. That is correct. Good work. Up the back. They're movie stars. That's correct. They're actors. Actors. Famous. You've kind of got to join them all together. What are they? They are? Famous. Celebrities who are? Oh, Australian. There you go. Yes, good work. There we go. This is a fantastic game. So, oh, there you go. Okay, not off to a great start. This one's even harder. This could be bad. Okay, next one. Have a look. Righto. What do these all have in common? Okay, yes. They're, they're what, sorry? Oh, my gosh. What's your name? Sorry? That's seriously amazing. So Canada, South Africa, Australia, and um, I was going to say London. London's not a country. What is it? England. There you go. Uh, there you go. You get, you get chocolate. Good work. So there we go. Oh, sorry. I, could, I couldn't see you from back there. I know who you are. Okay, good work. Okay, this next one is a bit trickier again. What do these things have in common? Health, kind of. Torch is very close. Right, I'm just going to give it to Shane because that's funny. If you're funny, even if you're not exactly right, you get to win. That's the rule, right? Isn't there a rule in the NBA that you can break the rules if you do a spectacular play? Is that correct? This is what's just happened here. You haven't got it right, but it's funny, so you get the chocolate. So, um, These are things that are torture. They are hard, but they are good for us. Studying is good for us, but hard. Uh, getting up early, apparently it's good for you. I don't think so, but whatever. Asparagus, does anyone like asparagus? I've just discovered it. I actually like it. It's super weird. And I don't, that's actually core. Does anyone know what exercise that is? That's, you know, oh, okay. I was going to say, that's a V-sit. I do them in CrossFit. I don't do enough of them, as you can see, but I do them, right? So, okay. Now, here's the go. All these things are good for us, but just because something is good for us doesn't mean it's necessarily enjoyable and doesn't mean it's necessarily something we want to do. And we find this in all parts of life. Just because something is good for us doesn't mean it's necessarily enjoyable 
and doesn't mean it's necessarily something we want to do. Over the last, uh, say, five weeks, I think, we've been in a series where we've been looking at how God helps those of us who are Christians, those of us who believe and trust in Jesus, grow in our relationship with Him. And Jason's been working through uh, this, I think it's called an acronym, FEARLESS. And when you look at what we've been doing over the last five weeks, this is a quick rundown. Uh, Week one, we look at feed yourself. Then we looked at engage your places, accept accountability, risk comfort. And this week, we're talking about the less, which is really about surrender. Now, uh, if you want to catch up on what's been going on, I'm not going to spend a whole heap of time doing a recap. You can jump online to our website and you'll be able to take some steps and listen there. But if you look at these things, for those of us who are Christians, now if you're not a Christian, you're kind of checking out this whole Christian thing, you're really welcome today. And I'm hoping that when you look at these things, it's not too weird. Because if I was you know, kind of new to church, as I was, you know, when I was 19, walked into church for the first time, I would have looked at some of that stuff and thought, I don't even know if I, if I can make sense of that. But if you are a Christian, those of us who are Christians, we would look at this and say, hey, listen, is it good to spend time with God daily? Yes. Is it always easy to find time to do that? Well, no, not necessarily. Is it good to carve out time every week to gather together with other people in our community or other people in our church and pray for one another and care for one another? Yes, of course that's good. No one argues with that. Of course that's a good thing. But it's not always easy. There might be a difficult person in your group. You know, someone like Pete might intimidate me with his massive muscles. Like, it might not always be the easiest thing in the world. And even if you're not a Christian, is it a good thing to invest our life in others and to pour out our life for the sake of those who are in need? Everyone thinks that's a good thing to do. But that can be extremely difficult. It's hard to love people who are difficult to love. It's difficult to sacrifice time and energy when you feel like you barely have time and energy for yourselves. And last week, Jason talked about actually sacrificing part of our money, part of our income. And again, we're happy to give here and give there and give occasionally. But the idea of setting aside part of our income on a regular, consistent basis and pouring that money into other causes for the sake of others, that's not an easy thing to do. So the question I want to ask today is this, does the Christian life consist of easy activities that we want to do or difficult activities that we have to do? Does the Christian life consist of easy activities that we want to do or difficult activities that we have to do? Let me see if I can explain. Now, I want you to be excited here because I've got a whiteboard. 100 bucks, Officeworks, get involved. Okay, right, so... I'm a maths teacher, by the way. I work at Mueller College, which is the uh, school attached to Carmichael. And um, I studied maths and physics at uni, and I have no friends. Okay, so here we go. Righto, want to? Oh, I just misspelled something too. I once put a five-word sentence up on the whiteboard and spelt three words incorrectly, so I'm pretty happy with that. Right, so, in other words, the question today is this. Is the Christian life, and I'm just aware that some of you might not be able to see, um, you could get up and move. It would be a crazy thing, but you could get up and move right now if you wanted to. I'll do my best. Is it about easy and want to, or is it, is it all the hard and have to? Now, again, 
if you're new to church, or maybe you're checking this whole thing out, I reckon you could have one of two experiences. You'll meet some Christians and some Christian communities, and it's all about the stuff that's easy and wants to. Like, we're going to have morning tea afterwards. I think there's going to be a pretty spectacular thing happening here next week, which Jason will tell you about. Some things in the Christian life just seem really easy to do. And some people are always on about, you know, just become a Christian. It's all about love and caring for one another. It's exciting. Jesus came that we might have life to the full. And everyone's pumped about it. Then you can also have an experience where you meet some Christians or some communities and it's all about the hard and you have to. You better be, you know, you better be working hard to you know, make sure you're doing the right thing. You better be disciplined and you better do all those things that, to be honest, don't seem that appealing. And depending on your experience of the whole Christian world, you might say, I think Christianity is about easy and want to Whereas others might say, no, 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 that's just watering things down. That's those wishy-washy people. It's all about the hard and have to. Which one is it? Well, I think the Bible teaches it's about easy and want to. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty. 28, 30, Jesus says, this is Jesus speaking. Matthew wrote a biography about Jesus. And he said, Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Another time, Jesus was telling a parable about the heart of God and what God's heart was really like. And towards the end of it, he said, The father said to his servants, he's talking about a son who eventually came home after rebelling from his father. The father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe. And put it on him, this son of mine who's returned. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Come to me, those who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. It's not hard. Come, we had to celebrate. There's a sense in which the Christian life can appear easy and want to. But those of us who are sitting there going, hang on, this isn't the complete picture, would say, no, no, there's more to it than that. The Bible also teaches, or Jesus also teaches, the Christian life at times seems to be hard. Matthew 16, 24, Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple or my follower must deny themselves, take up their cross, which was an instrument of execution back then. It was a scary thing for Jesus to say, and follow me. Um, the Apostle Paul, if you've been around church a little bit, you might have heard of his, his name before. He was a church leader and he sacrificed incredible things for the sake of what he believed in. He said this when he wrote to the church at Corinth, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits. That just sounds scary all of its own accord. In danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles or non-Jewish people, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labelled and taught and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Don't you want to become a Christian after reading that? Now, here's the go. Is the Christian life easy and want to, or is it hard and have to? It's tricky, right? 
Now, I spoke, I, I shared some of this at a church the other day. I got people to get up and they had to make, I'm not going to do this, by the way. I got people to stand up and they had to go to one side of the room or the other. And it's a game called Forced Choice. And the only rule in Forced Choice is you're forced to make a choice. So many people were angry at me because they're like, I do not want to make a choice. It's, it's somehow a combination and it was confusing. Let me see if I can make sense of this. Maybe you've already figured this out. So maybe you're ahead of me already. What if there's a way to reconcile both these views? Uh, the Apostle Paul, who I mentioned before, he wrote a letter to the Church of Rome. Um, this letter, it's called Romans, if you, if you kind of pick up a Bible. It's an incredibly significant letter. And in it, he kind of unpacks what the Christian life is about for those who are trying to make sense of it. And he, he spends a lot of time talking about what we've received. And he gets to about the 12th chapter of this letter, they didn't have chapters back then. Someone's just come along later and broken them up into chapters. And he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's writing to Christians, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, this is the interesting thing. This is key. If you kind of tuned out, please tune in. This, this changes everything. Paul has spent 11 chapters unpacking what we receive when we trust in Jesus. When we, those of us who are in the process of exploring or those of us who have already done this, when we put our trust in Jesus, the Bible teaches that we are forgiven of our past sins, our present sins and our future sins. Paul writes, he says, there is no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, what he's saying is there was an event in history where rather than God the Father getting angry at us for all the wrong things that we've done, and we've all done wrong things, God poured out his condemnation on Jesus. Jesus was condemned so that we can become uncondemnable. It's like what happens to those of you who are parents when your son or daughter comes home and says, I got in trouble for something I didn't do. Jesus got in trouble for something he didn't do. And even though that sucks and that's unfair, it's great for us because we should have got in trouble, but we escape condemnation. Added to that, the Apostle Paul writes and he says, listen, that's not it. That's not all, sorry. There's way more than that. Added to that, God not just gives you forgiveness of sins, he gives you the Holy Spirit, His Spirit who comes to live inside us, to, to transform us from the inside out, to give us a desire to love, to give us joy and peace and patience and kindness, to transform us, to make us more like Jesus. And then he says, that's not it. Added to that, you've got a place in heaven. Added to that, you've been adopted as a child of God. Added to that, God's going to work everything for our good. He goes on and on and on about all the things that happen for someone when they put their trust in Jesus. This is incredible. Then he says, now, I've unpacked this for 12 chapters and he goes a lot more you know, heavy than I have just then. For, 12 for 11 chapters, he gets to Romans 12.1. And he says, now, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, why? Why? So that God will love you, you better do this. No, he doesn't say that. So that God can forgive you, you better. No, he doesn't say that. So that you can have a place. No, he doesn't say, he doesn't say any of this stuff. 
He says, you've already been given all this stuff, all this mercy you've been given. God has poured out and this, this mercy upon us. We have received this mercy now in view of this mercy. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our true and proper worship. Now, for those of us who are kind of Bible people, if you're kind of new to church, this might be a bit heavy. But those of us who know the Bible a little bit, we would know that in the, in the Old Testament, the, the part of the Bible leading up to Jesus, they had to, the Jews had to make sacrifices to God in order to get forgiveness. And what Paul is saying is, listen, we no longer have to sacrifice an animal in order to be forgiven. We have a sacrifice. Jesus was the sacrifice. He sacrificed himself on our account. But now, would you offer your life as a living sacrifice, not in order to be forgiven, but because we have been forgiven? And what's interesting is this. The New Dictionary of Biblical Theology says, in the Old Testament, only clean animals are offered in sacrifice. According to later restrictions, sacrifices were to be unblemished. We are not able to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to God if we are not clean. But God has already made us clean. And now because he has made us clean, he's washed our sins away. We are now willingly, freely, joyfully able to offer our lives as a living sacrifice. So this is the controversial thing. And this is where you can disagree. But this, I've given my life to this. This is it. This is the key. This does not exist for the Christian. There is no have to. Do you have to love people in order to be loved? No, you are already loved. Do you have to serve in order for God to forgive you? No, you are already forgiven. Is this making sense? There's no have to. It is everything we do is done freely, willingly, joyfully, joyfully voluntarily. It is in response to what God has already done. Now, does that mean the Christian life is always easy? Well, of course not. There are some things that are hard. Just because we want to do them doesn't mean they're easy. Let me see if I explain. The Bible Knowledge Commentary describes when Paul uses the term bodies... It says, the word bodies represents the totality of one's life and activities, of which his body is the vehicle of expression. When Paul is saying, in view of this mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, he's not just saying our physical body, he's saying everything. My time, my energy, my resources. This idea that, you know, God wants 10% of my money. If you've been around church a bit, that's not how the New Testament describes Christianity. The New Testament describes Christianity that in response to God's grace, freely, willingly, joyfully, I, I, I designate all my money for God. That doesn't mean I give it all away. It means I realize it's a gift and I hold it and use it the way I think God wants me to use it. I don't just set aside one day a week for God. It's not just one day a week. Every moment, every day, every decision, every opportunity, everything that happens in my life, all of it in an ideal world is freely, willingly, joyfully surrendered to the one who came to save, who gave us everything because of his love. Matthew Henry says this, 
the offering was sacrificed by the priest, but presented by the offerer who transferred to God all his rights, title and interest in it by laying his hand on the head of it. When we freely, willingly, joyfully offer our lives to God, we give up our rights and we say to God, thank you for all that you have given me in response to your grace and your mercy. I give up my rights and I surrender all. That is the Christian life. This is what I think the Bible teaches. Those who truly surrender their lives to God do so because they want to, not because they have to. Those who truly surrender their lives to God do so because they want to, not because they have to. Um, about 500 years ago, those of you who know history will know this, um, this, there's a guy called Martin Luther who lived and he was, a, he was a monk, he was a priest and he um, lived under this incredible guilt and shame and he thought he had to earn God's love and he worked harder than anyone else. And then he had this incredible experience of God's love. Let's just check out this video. Okay, let's go to the thought bubble. Luther studied law, and like most law students, he hated it. Then one day, a sudden storm blew up, lightning struck him to the ground, and in a panic, he cried, Help me, Saint Anne, I'll become a monk. He survived, and in the next two weeks, he withdrew from university, entered an Augustinian monastery, took his vows, and sent a message to inform his family, who I'm sure were delighted to have spent all that money on education, because monking is so lucrative. In 1505, Luther was sent to Rome on a diplomatic mission, and he ignored all the awesome art and focused instead on Rome's corruption. Luther was obsessed with his own sinfulness, and he kept confessing incessantly. And finally, his confessor and teachers sent him to the University of Wittenberg because, you know, they were a little bit annoyed with him, and they figured he'd be good at teaching scripture. These days, of course, incessant confessors are put on the Real Housewives of New Jersey, but back then you sent them to the University of Wittenberg. Anyway, Luther finally found his answer in St. Paul's epistle, specifically in one line that said, the just shall live by faith. In other words, salvation comes through faith, not good works, not through prayer or fasting or vigils or pilgrimages or relics or giving to the poor or the sacraments or any action that a person can take. We can't ever be good enough through our actions to merit salvation. We can only have faith. In Latin, sola fide only faith. This led to a series of debates with other men of the cloth during which Luther's positions became increasingly radical. Starting from the statement that Christians were saved only through faith and the grace of God, for instance, Luther then upped the ante saying that the church's rituals didn't have the power to save souls. And so in 1521, Luther was called to defend his ideas before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V at the Imperial Diet of Worms, or in German, Worms. Also, let me say retroactively now that everyone has commented on my poor German pronunciation, pronunciation, Wittenberg. Emperor Charles famously said, a single friar who goes counter to all Christianity for a thousand years must be wrong. Now, most people in Europe at the time couldn't read, but a lot of people could, including, of course, a lot of priests, and over 2,000 editions of Luther's writings appeared between 1517 and 1526. And his ideas also appeared in pamphlets and posters and cartoons that were seen and read aloud, reaching millions of readers and listeners. In short, Luther's ideas were all over, like, 
like the tumbler of the day, which was a town crier and broadsides nailed to doors. And it caused quite a stir. But maybe the most revolutionary of Luther's publications was his new translation of the Bible into German. For the first time ever, non-priests could read the Bible for themselves, because Luther used the German that people actually spoke instead of Latin, and his work quickly caught on among common people. Hundreds of thousands of copies of Luther's Bible were printed, people carried it in their pockets and memorized it. Now everyone could quote scripture and discuss its meaning. So Luther's protest started creating spin-offs, the Zwinglians and the Calvinists and the Anabaptists, and then the spin-offs had their own spin-offs. It's like how first there was Iron Man, and then there was the Avengers, and then, you know, like an Avengers TV show. Pretty soon we're gonna have Ant-Man get his own movie. The Protestant Reformation is basically just the exact same thing as the Marvel comic universe, but no Thor because he's pagan. Anyway, many of these new denominations will be familiar to you. The Anglicans and Puritans, the Quakers, the Presbyterians, the Methodists, the Baptists. Here's the problem. When people like me and others get up and say, there's no have to, it's just want to, people are just going to do whatever they want. No one's going to love people. No one's going to care for people. We're not going to give to the poor. We're just going to, we're just going to take God's love for granted. And we're just going to be like, whatever the heck you want to do, just go out and do it. It doesn't really matter. And Luther discovered this. Luther came to fully believe this and he transformed the world through it. And everyone said to him, that is a dangerous message. If you preach that, if you proclaim that, if you communicate that it's about what Jesus has done on our behalf, not what we do, that everything in the Christian life is a want to, not a have to, you will find people will not take this seriously. We need to guilt trip them. We need to force them. We need to manipulate them and pressure them into doing good works. That's the only way it can happen. But Luther held his ground. Now you would think that someone who believes so much in want to and not have to would just become lethargic and slack and just do whatever they wanted. But that wasn't Luther's story. There has been no one since Bible times more influential than Martin Luther. He has changed the world more significantly than anyone that is alive today. He gave everything for the sake of what he believed in, not because he had to, but because he wanted to. He was accused of watering this whole thing down. And so he ended up writing this, this I, I don't even know what they used to call it back then. He, he wrote this document called The Freedom of a Christian. And he starts off in this document, he says something that's a little bit hard to make sense of, but I'll see if I can explain it. He says in the very first couple of sentences, the Christian is the most free Lord of all and subject to none. But a Christian is also the most dutiful servant of all, subject to everyone. And it goes on to say, if you can make sense of these two statements, you understand the Christian life. And what he goes on to unpack is this. We are the most free of all people. We don't need to do a single thing. We do not need to lift a finger. We have a place in heaven, forgiveness of sins, the Holy Spirit. Everything's been given to us freely. But at the same time, in that freedom, we can do whatever we want. Why would we not want to take every opportunity, leverage every dollar, do whatever we can in all places, in all times, in all moments for the sake of others and for the sake of the message of Jesus? He went on in his preface to his, his um, commentary on the book of Romans, and he said this, Faith is God's work in us. 
that changes us and gives us a new birth from God. It kills the old Adam and makes us completely different people. It changes our hearts, our spirits, our thoughts and all our powers. It brings the Holy Spirit with it. Yes, it is a living, creative, active and powerful thing, this faith. Now this, is, this, this blows my mind. Faith cannot help doing good works constantly. It doesn't stop to ask if good works ought to be done. How interesting is this? But before anyone asks, it has already done them and continues to do them without ceasing. Christians do not do good works because they have to. They're not even doing good works because they're told to. It's in them. It's exploded in their hearts. They cannot help but speak, help but serve, help but give. Jesus sometimes would say to people, I've done this miracle for you. Don't tell anyone. Now's not the appointed time. The first thing they did is disobeyed him and told everyone. They couldn't help it. The apostles were told, do not speak about Jesus. Talk about God as much as you want. Stop talking about Jesus. And they said, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. It is in us. Luther went on to say, faith is a living, bold trust in God's grace. So certain of God's favour, it would risk death a thousand times trusting in it. Such confidence and knowledge of God's grace makes you happy and joyful and bold in your relationships to God and all creatures. The Holy Spirit makes this happen through faith. This is the key. Because of it, you freely, willingly and joyfully do good to everyone, serve everyone, suffer all kinds of things, love and praise the God who is showing you such grace. Why wouldn't you want this? This is the best news ever. I cannot speak enough about this. This has changed my life and it's changed hundreds, thousands, millions, billions of people all over this planet. This is the thing. This is the message and this is why we give our lives to this mission. I'm gonna pray and I could talk about this forever so you have to get me off, but here's the go. I'm gonna pray and you might be saying, you know what, I've been in church a long time and I've lived in half to column. I thought I had to earn God's favour and I knew there was God's love. I knew there was forgiveness, but I had to do something. If you're saying that today and you want to shift, I'm going to give you an opportunity. Or you might be saying, I'm new to church. I've never heard this before, but if this Jesus can change people's lives, I want in. I want to trust my life and eternity into his hands. So just while we're sitting there, can we have every single person with their heads bowed and their eyes closed? And if you're saying today, when I was 19 years old, this was my experience. If you're saying today, I know my life is not as it should be. I know I need God's forgiveness. I know I want to spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. I love the idea the Holy Spirit could come into my life and give me a new life and transform me from the inside out. If that's you today, would you simply raise your hand where you are and say, God, this is me. This is my moment. I'm trusting my life in your hands right now. Just put your hand up right now. That's great. This is it. Would you just pray with me? Dear Father, I am a broken person. I'm not just a sinner because I've done wrong things. There's this thing in me, this disease of sin that I can't control. I'm not the person I want to be. I'm certainly not the person you want me to be. So I acknowledge my sinfulness and my need for you, Jesus. In this moment, in the best way I know how, I trust my life and eternity into your hands, Jesus. I believe you died on the cross to pay for my sin in full. I believe you rose from the dead 
And I believe, Jesus, you're coming again to take us to heaven. Would you give us your Holy Spirit? Come into our life and make us the people you want us to be. Not because we have to do good things, but so that we have a desire, freely, willingly, joyfully, to love all, serve all, give all for the sake of others. Thank you, Jesus. You're so good and so kind all the time. Amen. Hey, um, we're going to finish off today with one last song. And I'm really aware of the fact that um, if, if you maybe had questions about what I just said today, I'd love to have a chat with you. Jason's just over here. He's, he's the man with the, um, the music stand. <laughs> he's, he's one of the pastors here. He'd love to have a chat with you as well. So feel free to come and have a chat. Uh, but we'd love to stand and sing and we're going to worship this Jesus who died for us.